The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show has been brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards, two centuries of fruit tree expertise. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. So what do you do when you have an exciting project on the horizon? As a journalist and filmmaker, my go-to approach is to go to the library and do some research. So in 2009, when I decided it was going to be a fantastic idea to plant a community orchard in my public park, my very first destination was the library. I knew a lot about organic gardening, but I knew very little at the time about fruit trees, and I wanted to know about the best cultivars to grow, and I wanted to learn all about fruit tree care. So I searched for books on fruit trees and bought, brought home a whole bunch of them. And then I went to town just dreaming about what my local community orchard could look like and what the fruit would taste like. One of the best books I browsed through then was writer and horticultural consultant Lee Reich's book, Landscaping with Fruit, which was a great resource then and still is today. Lee Reich has gone on to writing lots more books, and one of them pushes the boundaries of growing fruit in your garden. It's called Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden. Expand your palate with pawpaw, shipovas, jujubes, maypops, and more. It's a book where he teaches us how to grow types of fruit that most of us have never even heard of, and fruit that we will never be able to buy in our local supermarket. So I've invited Lee to be my guest on the show today. Now, if you're listening to this show live, you may have questions or comments about our topic, or you may just want to reach out and say hi. If you do, just send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com and include your first name and where you're writing from. Anybody who emails us during the live show will be entered into today's contest and will be eligible to win a copy of Lee's book, Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden. So if you guys are ready, let's dig into today's topic. Lee, welcome to the show today. Hi, Susan. Nice to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you. I have this image of you. When you talk about in your bio who you are and what you do, 
You talk about your farmed in. It's not a garden and it's not a farm. It's a farmed in. And I have this image of this farmed in just being rich with all different types of exotic and interesting fruits. Can you tell me a little bit about this farmed in of yours and why you call it that and what it is? Well, I call it a farmed in because, well, it started out I had a garden. Uh, my original property was only three quarters of an acre, but uh, I did plant a lot of vegetables and I planted as many fruits as I could pack into the three quarters of an acre. But then I bought a two and a half acre field just to the south, connected to this property. And I decided, well, since I write and I lecture and I consult about gardening and fruits, uh, I should plant more. So instead of having, say, uh, pawpaw trees, only two of them, which I had on the original property, I thought I'd plant 20. And same thing with, uh, you know, planted more apples, planted more pears, everything I multiplied many times. So at that point, I decided this was more than a garden, or I like to say uh, more than one person can take care of and remain sane. <laughs> and uh, and I am the only person that cares for this, mostly. So and, uh, and so then I decided it wasn't quite a farm. I mean, I sell a few things off here, but mostly it's, it's just to be able to study the plants and check out different varieties and see how they grow. Uh, so I decided it wasn't a farm, so it's less than a farm, but more than a garden which I call a farmed in. So hopefully you are still sane because it sounds like you've taken <laughs> out a lot. <laughs> I, I, occasionally, I occasionally get some help now. Uh, Fire some help. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Um, so you had your apples, you had your pawpaws, which are interesting fruit. You, you had other things. When did you decide it was time to start experimenting with the, the uncommon fruits, the types that many of us haven't even heard of? I guess it was early on when I started gardening. I remember one of the first plants, this is a long, long time ago, and before people had hardly even heard of uh, things such as gooseberries even. And uh, early on, I guess I just started planting a few of those things, but I really got interested in it. Uh, I was working for Cornell uh, a number of years ago, and uh, here in the Hudson Valley, there's a, I was working at a, one of the research stations, and it was mostly apple research, you know, some pear, but mostly apple. And uh, it just seemed like that's all people grew was apples. And then I also looked around and I saw that, um, you know, in backyards, people would have crab apples and weeping cherries that didn't really make fruit. And I was thinking that the trees were so pretty when they're in bloom and then people don't get fruit. So I started really just thinking about plants that uh, were pretty but also edible, plants that were easy to grow because apples uh, around here and much of the world, they get sprayed very heavily. So, uh, so I wanted fruits that were easier to grow, and I just started researching, and I'm not sure, I just, just bit by bit, I started accumulating a lot of different fruits, and, I'd, and uh, then I'd plant, you know, for instance, I had a hedge of forsythia along my driveway, which was really nice in spring. Of course, it doesn't make fruit. But then I, I one plant that I had been fond of for a long time was Nanking cherry, Prunus tomentosa which uh, is, is as pretty as forsythia in the spring with white or pinkish-white blossoms, uh, but it also makes tons of cherries. So I uh, ripped out the forsythia and I planted Nanking cherries, and I guess I was on my way then, just planting all these uh, uh, weird, or not weird, uncommon fruits in addition to common fruits. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Nanking cherry, because that's something that I myself haven't tasted before. Is it actually a part of the cherry family, or is that just the yeah. name of it? Yeah, it's a true uh, prunus species, prunus tomentosa. It's a 
It's one of my favorite of, of all the uh, uncommon fruits. And why? What is it that's so nice about it? Well, a few things. First of all, that it is beautiful. Second thing, as opposed to uh, most cherries, I have a lot. I, I should preface this whole thing that say my farm then as much as fruit is, is one of my favorite fruits are one of my favorite foods to eat. But in spite of that, my farm then has a very poor site for fruit growing hmm. because it's a very low lying area. So the so you get late spring frost and it's always colder here, and the air's more damp, and there's uh, thousands of acres of forest right next to me so a lot of pests come in from the forest so i have a lot of trouble growing a lot of fruits but uh like for instance sweet cherries i can't grow at all tart cherries i can grow sort of but the nanking cherries always have borne an excellent crop for me and uh and i don't spray them i i don't even have to prune them usually i just prune them when they get too big i just whack them back it's there's no art or science in pruning a nanking cherry and uh i was exposed to this years before when i was in graduate school I would ride my bike to school, and there was a golf course that had a hedge along one part of the path that I was riding, and it was sheared, and it was a, a hedge of uh, Nanking cherries, and it was just like this wall of cherries. Wow. And uh, the one downside, just to show I'm not like just uh, uncommon fruit crazed, I do see the, I do see their downsides. The one downside to Nanking cherries, the fruits are small. They're only like uh, half to five-eighths of an inch in diameter. And but so, the pit do is also small, and uh, and they taste great. They're somewhere on the spectrum between a sweet and a tart cherry, and I've tasted many, many different uh, varieties. Well, not varieties, uh, seedlings, because there are no varieties available, and they all taste great. That's great, and they and they're good to eat fresh, right? Right off the the bush. Oh yeah, that's the way to eat them. And uh, you know, people often ask me because uh, you know along my driveway they're just loaded with fruit, so a lot of people coming along the street see them, and they ask me, uh, "Don't the birds get all of them?" And I say that the uh, the birds eat all they want, the squirrels eat all they want, the chipmunks eat all they want, I eat all they w- I want, and you still would hardly know the plant's been touched. In my book, I have a, a color photo of a branch of making cherry with my hand holding a whole bunch of cherries and the branch is almost you can't see the branch just because the cherries are so solid along the branch that's incredible and so why do you think it is that nanking cherry survives whereas um sweet cherry trees around you just wouldn't well they seem to be well one reason is where they're from they're from the hills of manchuria where in uh in winter the temperatures can be minus 50 degrees fahrenheit and the summer could be 110. So this is a tough plant. It can take a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of bad environmental conditions. That's one thing. And uh, I don't know, just, you know, certain varieties of things or certain species are just more pest resistant than others. Hmm. Well, we got uh, an, uh, an email here from Wallace. Now, let's see. Wallace is from, hi, listening from Red Deer, Alberta. Is it true that Mr. Reich is a Ph.D.? Wow. Can he tell us a bit about his education? Thank you, Wallace. Oh. <laughs> uh, geez, I'm sort of blushing. <laughs> Delving into my personal life. Yes. Now. No, uh, actually, I, I feel that I w- really lucked out with my education, and it was just by chance. It wasn't that directed. Uh, just briefly, I started out as an undergraduate. I was a chemistry major, and I was really pretty enthralled with chemistry. And then I went on to graduate school, three semesters of graduate school in theoretical chemistry. It's like quantum chemistry. 
which I loved and I still like, except I felt like uh, it wasn't uh, really going anywhere as far as answering big questions. It was not ever going to. So I decided to, so I dropped out for a year, lived in Vermont, started reading about gardening, and then decided I wanted to go back to graduate school and study agriculture. And by chance, when I checked out different departments, the head of the soil science department uh, coaxed me, said, you got to come into this department and, you know, we'll set you up, we'll give you funding and all this. So I, so I ended up getting a master's degree in soil science, which is a great foundation for, you know, anything horticultural. And then I realized there's a lot of aspects of soil science, but I, uh, one aspect I really liked was the horticultural aspect. So then I went on to get a master's in horticulture. Then I got a job with the USDA, with, which was then called the Soil Conservation Service, for about two years, which I didn't really like the job. So then I decided to go back to school, and then I got my doctorate, and I was had the opportunity to work at like one of the best research places in the country, the Beltsville, USDA Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. And, uh, and from there I was hired by Cornell, and the rest is history. But, you know, one thing that's very important... Uh, and in this whole story is when I um, when I switched into agriculture and started graduate school in soil science, I started gardening like a madman, and uh, you know I kept through all those different places. I, I I always had a garden, and it was really I was crazed about gardening. And the cool thing is, I'm still crazed about gardening. Oh, there's so much to learn. Hey, you know you can have your PhD in soil science, or you know, but there's nature always has something to teach us. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it really fascinating, and I find luck. I find that I'm lucky that I had sort of the science, the soils, the chemistry, the soil science, and then the horticulture foundation, and then to apply it out in the field. And uh, my most recent book is sort of uh, speaks to that, because um, a lot of what I what, one day I was making compost, and I was thinking how everything I did in making the compost was not by chance; it was sort of subconscious. That I would, uh, but it really, um, I drew from the science that I had in how I was making the compost, and I do make really good compost. And uh, then I decided to write a whole book on, uh, you know, the scientific underpinnings of things we do out in the garden, and how they can be applied directly to, to uh, you know, how we garden and how they make for a better garden. Oh, fantastic. Um, we have another question here. We were going to dive back in uncommon, into Uncommon Fruits in uh-huh. just a minute. But I have a question here from Lynn from Margaretsville, Nova Scotia, Zone 6. And so she's talking more generally about uh, fruit trees in general. She says, I was wondering about Lee's opinion on topping fruit trees to maintain a short stature, no, collar th- no taller than seven feet. So what would you say to Lynn, uh, a brief answer about pruning and uh, saying that, Lynn, Oh my goodness, uh, Lee's got a fantastic book all about pruning. <laughs> so tell us what you think about that, Lee. You, first of all, you got to be careful asking me of opinions because I have very strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, topping generally is not a great idea. Uh, I, I guess if it's a dwarf tree and you want to maintain it to be dwarf, the better way is to start with a dwarfing rootstock. I mean, there, there are apple, did you say it was an apple tree? Uh, she didn't mention what type of tree. Oh. But there are apple rootstocks, there are pear rootstocks, and there are cherry rootstocks that will keep a tree at seven feet. So that would be the best way to do it. And then if you do top the tree, uh, you don't just do it arbitrarily. You top to a to a sort of a weak side branch, 
and then going to a weak side branch, you'll have less growth at the top. But plants generally, as I point out in my pruning book, uh, it's just the physiology of all plants is that the highest point in the plant will be the most vigorous. So, you know, it's not something you do once if you're going to top it. It's something you'll have to do repeatedly. Yeah, they'll keep coming back. So we have another email here from Beth from Ashtabula, Ohio. Um, She says here, looking forward to today's show. I hope to plant a few pawpaw trees next year and will be planting two aronia berry plants next week, as well as some elderberries. Have you grown aronia berries? Well, that's a good segue. Let's talk about aronia berries. Have you grown them and what do you think of them? I grew them once. Actually, I do have them planted now too, but uh, I grew them once and I, I have to say in all honesty, I don't know what the big buzz is about aronia because it's pretty much inedible. And uh, and you can make just about anything edible if you doctor it up enough with heat and sweetener, which is what you have to do with aronia. Um, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of aronia. And that's, that. you know, certain a lot of plants did not make that, do have edible fruits, edible, but not, in my opinion, that palatable, did not make it into my Uncommon Fruit book. And uh, aronia is one of the ones that did not make it in there. I'm, I'm not a big fan. I think it's a, a nice ornamental plant. And I did plant it just because I have a little part of my uh, front yard now where I call it my little permaculture place where I just stick plants there and I don't take care of them and see how they do. And I have aronia there. And you have aronia there. So we'll keep an eye on it. Maybe it'll save itself one day by producing something yummy for you if you're I lucky. Don't think so. <laughs> it's okay. Genetics. We've got another email from Andy, uh, who's from Belleville, Ontario. Help! Oh my goodness, this is serious. Any advice on pruning gooseberries? And gooseberries yeah, it, are in your book. It's it's very easy. It's um, basically gooseberry bears best on one, two, and three year old wood, or mostly on two and three year old wood. So ideally, you, you do renewal pruning, which is how you prune any shrub, ornamental, or um, or or fruiting. And basically, you want a certain number of one-year-old shoots, a certain number of two-year-old shoots, a certain number of three-year-old shoots. And then when they get to be four years old, you cut them all down. So, so annual pruning then would be to remove anything older than three years old and to thin out if there's too many one-year-old shoots. So you might want like six shoots of each age. So that's the theory. And I have to admit, you know, I've written that and I've done it. But mostly when I prune my gooseberries, I just sort of look at them and Anything that looks really old, I cut to the ground. And anything that's, um, if there's too many young shoots coming up, I thin those out. And if there's anything drooping too too much, I shorten that. Makes it pretty simple, huh? That's a nice approach. Yeah. Yeah, it's not hard. And also, no, no matter what you do, uh, you know, unless you do something very, very drastic, you'll get gooseberries. Well, that's good. So I, I wanted to, I got, uh, the first time I saw your book, I thought, okay, Shapovas, I have to know what a Shapova is. I have never seen one in a supermarket. Uh, I don't know if you can get them anywhere. Tell me about Shapovas and how did you first find out about those? Oh, you definitely won't see them in the supermarket. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think how I found out about them. I don't know. It's, it's sort of like, jeez, uh, I don't even know. Cause this, out of all the fruits in the, in the book, that is the most rare. I mean, basically, I could probably travel around all of uh, Canada and just find a handful of them. I mean, that's probably not true, but, but, you know, only people that are really interested on common fruits would grow them. But it's a very interesting plant. 
it's an intergeneric hybrid between uh, a species of uh, mountain ash, resorbus, and uh, European pear, which is pyrus. So it has the botanical uh, genera designated sorbo pyrus. And uh, I think it's a, first of all, I think it's a very beautiful plant. It has really nice uh, flowers, and the leaves have sort of this whitish uh, cast to them. So it's really pretty. It's a tree that, you know, people often put spreaders in the branches to give trees, uh, fruit trees especially, a good shape, good strong attachments. And Chipotle just naturally has good shape. And the fruit, uh, it's one of the best tasting fruits that I've grown. So why do you think it's so uncommon? Like, why have people not discovered them yet? You know, the whole thing is about commercial fruit growing, at least, is very commodified. I mean, basically, commercial fruit growing is selling, you know, red orbs. Or, you know, it used to be just red orbs, like red delicious apples or yellow orbs. And, you know, flavor is not the most important thing. And you want things that everybody's going to want. It's sort of like the McDonald's of, uh, of, of fruit growing. It's like you don't, you don't want anything too strong that a lot of people won't like, even if some people do. You want something that every, everybody likes pretty much, even if they're not crazy over it. You know, it's good. You know, it's all good enough, but it's not great. So Chipotle might be in that category. And then there's the way it looks. It's about the size of a, you know, quite maybe the size of a plum. And depending on where it's grown, if it's grown in the east, it usually has a russeted appearance, and that often turns people off. It's also a new fruit. So so who's going to uh, risk planting an orchard of these things? Uh, you know, people don't know it, and I'm not so sure how well it keeps. I know when I had it, it did not keep uh, that well, but it, but it really had a really nice taste, very much like a pear, but also had a really good texture, sort of like a meaty texture. And what about how easy is it to grow? It's easy to grow. The main the main problem is, it, and this is another downside, I guess, if, if somebody's going to try and commercialize it, it's very slow to come into bearing. It takes eight years mm. before it'll bear. So it's an investment in time. Yeah, you have to be patient. I guess yeah, on eight years, eight years isn't that long. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> well, it depends. Once, you, once you plant it, and then all of a sudden, five years have gone by, and you know you got three more years. Well, that's what life looks like when you're a committed gardener, huh? The time just flies. <laughs> right. So, okay, we got an email here from Bob, and Bob is from Dallas, Texas. Hi, Susan. Love your show today. Is Dr. Reich going to do any live seminars seminars or workshops this summer in New York State this year, as I will be there for the summer? Would love to attend one. Hmm. Oh, the so, answer is yes. If oh, tell us. Me, uh, if he, uh, uh, let's see, he could get on my mailing list if he sends me an email asking that, or if he goes to my website, which is com. You can look on the workshops uh, page that I, uh, I don't have the whole schedule. I usually plan it only a month ahead, so you have to check it frequently. But if he's on my list, my email list, then he gets notification. Oh, that sounds great. Thank you, Bob, for that question. That's good. I'm sure there will be a few people who are interested. Right, so... I'm giving one actually in, uh, in uh, April 14th on uh, pruning. <laughs> workshop here. Oh, nice. Here at the farm den. Well, we have a reply from Bob. Guess what he says? He says, thank you. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Bob. So, okay, so Shipovas take patience. Um, but the other thing I was thinking is, 
because it's uncommon, would that mean that you'll have less pest and disease problems? Um, not necessarily, but I would say that all the fruits in the book have, if you're talking about compare with apple, I would say almost definitely because no, 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 no fruit could have as many pests as that. Not as many as bad pest problems. Uh, and pears generally, of all the common fruits, pears are the easiest to grow as far as pests. And since that's one uh, parent of Shapova and the other parent's uh, mountain ash, which also doesn't have tons of pests, uh, I would say it's pest-free. I, I have not experienced any pests on Shapova. Oh, that's great. Well, let's take a moment. Coming up in just a minute, we'll have a few words from our sponsors. But are you okay, Lee, just staying on the line? And we'll continue talking about some of these amazing uncommon fruits that we can all grow in our gardens. So you okay uh, holding on the line? Yeah, definitely. Okay, great. Thank you. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is RealityRadio101.com, and I'm Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. We'll be back right after the break. Stark Brothers is primarily a direct-to-consumer marketer of fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees. We do this on a national basis. We're the largest as far as what we do, and we've been doing it for 200 years. The company started in 1816 when James Hart Stark brought his family and a satchel full of apple science across the Mississippi River, settled here in what is now Louisiana, Missouri. The big first apple for Stark Brothers was the Red Delicious Apple, and it started in 1893. And then 20 years later, in 1914, the Golden Delicious Apple was mailed to the facility here. Two-thirds of all the apples eaten in the world today are cousins of these two apples. Essentially, they have the DNA of the Red Delicious or Golden Delicious Apple in their DNA. We have about eight acres of warehouses, and we have between 350 and 400 acres of field production going on every year, which is split into two crops, the crop you're budding and the crop you're selling. We have about five acres of greenhouses. We offer a wide variety of products. We're growing woody fruit trees, small fruits, raspberries, blueberries, knockout roses, kiwis. There's always a new product coming out or a new technique. E-commerce has changed our business model completely, and we recognize we're open 24-7, and the customer wants their merchandise faster and sooner than they ever have. What works well with us is that, one, we're centrally located, that 75% of our customer base is within two days' time in transit. We'll send an email on a Monday, and if you place your order today or tomorrow, you'll be planting this weekend. Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Learn more at starkbros.com. If you're an arborist, master gardener, or landscaper who's keen to learn fruit tree care skills, check out orchardpeople.com's Certificate in Beginner Fruit Tree Care. Not only does our intensive online training give you the skills you need, but we'll also give you a certificate that you can use to claim continuing education credits from the International Society of Arboriculture and from other professional bodies. Learn more about continuing education at orchardpeople.com by visiting orchardpeople.com slash workshops.
Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In this show, we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. Thanks for tuning in. Today on the show, my guest is writer and horticulturalist Lee Reich, author of Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden. Our topic today is those very uncommon fruits that you might consider growing at home. So far in the show today, we've discussed shipovas and carnelian cherries, but there are a lot more options if you want to grow more than just pears, peaches, and apples. Now, as we chat today during the live show, you may have questions or comments for Lee, or you may just want to write in to say hi. Send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com during the live show, and we'll enter you into our contest. And you may be the winner of Lee's book, Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden. Oh, and do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So, Lee, we've talked about a few different uncommon fruits. There's another one in the book that I just stopped and looked at for a while. Maypops. Maypops are interesting, and they have quite a history. Can you tell me a little bit about them? Yeah, well, it's very... A lot of times if I give a talk, uh, and, you know, we're in northern climate here, and, and I show a fruit you can grow, and I show a picture of a passion flower, and people consider that to be a tropical fruit, so they're always amazed that you can actually grow... Uh, pretty far north, I would say into Zone 5 at least, uh, Maypops. And Maypop is a, is a, differs from the, it is a true passion flower or passion fruit, and it differs from the tropical ones in that the tropical ones are woody vines, and the Maypop is an herbaceous perennial. So the top dies to the ground each year, but the roots survive and send up new shoots that uh, both flower and fruit. And uh, I mean, the flowers, it's worth growing just for its flowers. The flowers are really stunning. And then the fruit is, is one of my favorite fruits. I don't get high production here. I know as you go further south, uh, you can get more production. And if you go really far south, they consider it a weed because it spreads underground by runners. Now, there is, uh, there, there's symbolism, isn't there, for the maypop? Is there a certain symbolism? Yeah, people often think the, you know, passion fruit's called passion fruit because it's, makes you feel more passionate but actually the passion and passion fruit and flowers refers to a religious passion the passion of christ and when christian missionaries first uh, came to the new world uh, where the passion fruit is native they used the passion fruit as a teaching tool to teach the natives uh all the the story of christ so uh, um, i have to consult my book here let's see like so 10 so-called petals uh, which is really t- five petals and five sepals, were taken to be the ten apostles. The uh, the uh, the sort of fine rays around the um, around the fruit was supposed to be like the crown of thorns. So each part of this intricate flower uh, was taken to represent some part of the passion of Christ. 
and was used, as, a, as I said, as a teaching tool. So what does the fruit taste like, and how, what kind of harvest do you get from this plant? So it sounds like it's just, it's almost like a little perennial. Oh, it is a perennial, yeah. That, that's going to die grow, back. Well, when it grows, it's not a little perennial, because the fruits, the vines can grow 10 feet in a season. Oh. So, and the, the way the fruit tastes, oddly enough, it tastes like a passion fruit, <laughs> which if you've never tasted passion fruit, it's the main flavor in Hawaiian punch. It's sort of a sweet tart. Uh, the fruit is egg-shaped and it's hollow. And, uh, I mean, it's hollow, but filled with seeds. And each seed is uh, has a gelatinous, a thick gelatinous coating, sort of like a pomegranate. And that's the, that's the part that you can eat. Well, you can eat the seeds too. But I think it's a great tasting fruit. I, w- I wish they bore more heavily. So, if it's a vine, what's the trick? Yeah, you have to have a trellis for it. Is it you know tricky to support it? You can do that. I mean, I've planted them on trellises. Years ago, I had one. I had a lilac bush right in the middle of my lawn, and I just planted it at the base. So after the lilac finished uh, putting on its show, the passion vines would be uh, climbing up into the lilac, and then they'd put on their show. Mm. So that worked out well. And then the lawnmower kept it from spreading. And does it get a decent size harvest? Are you going to get a lot of fruit? I have I have not gotten a lot of fruit, I have to admit, but I, I'm still working on it. Some of these <laughs> things are still, uh, uh, you know, a pro, in process. Right, a work in process. We have, but I, but I do, but I do really, uh, um, you know, love each fruit that I do get. I think sometimes it's again like if you can't necessarily buy this stuff and growing it yourself, it gives a real feeling of satisfaction. I grew this beautiful thing. Oh yeah, and. And and also it's uh, and it's worth growing for the flowers and flower they do flower very heavily, right? So basically, it's decorative plus the bonus is right. you get some nice fruit, but it's beautiful as well. So or if you're in you know a little warmer zone, say like zone six, um, you know, or warmer, you can get a lot of fruit. Right, right. Okay, so that's good. We have an email here from Beth. Beth lives in Indianapolis, Indiana. She says, hi, just tuned in. What is Mr. Reich's contact information slash website? Um, P.S. I am a fellow Cornell University graduate, but in veterinary science. Love your show. <laughs> so the website is uh, Lee Reich, L-E-E-R-E-I-C-H dot com. Great. And also and by the... you get all the contact and everything. You know, you get the workshops, blog. You know, there's a blog I write weekly also that's on there. Perfect. So in the... Also as well, if anybody missed the beginning of the show or any of my other shows, you can go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And there's always the archived show. So we're, we're out live now, but in a few hours we put up the podcast. So if they missed the beginning, they can go back. We have an email from Yi. Um, I don't Yi from Toronto, and the it's passion flower. She says, "I see one of my local nurseries are selling passion flower right now, indoor greenhouse." The description there's a beautiful picture, but she's just sending. Oh, it's very pretty. Well, that's nice. Thank you, Yi. That's you're just sending us a beautiful picture to see how pretty these flowers are. Gorgeous colors too. So it means that right. they're available. Although they're prob- they're probably selling the. Uh tropical one they're tropical that's what i was going to ask you so do all if it's a tropical passion flower will it also have an edible fruit or are you going to be disappointed if you get that one well there's many species of, tra- of passion flower and uh there's, there's a few that make edible fruits my guess is it's 
I mean, I guess you'd have to. Passiflora edulis is one of the common edible ones. So if it's that, then it is edible. And I actually have grown that in a pot that I brought indoors in winter, and uh, and mixed. Uh, uh, it, it was quite easy to get it to fruit. Well, that's fantastic. So I guess the moral of the story is, and I'm so pleased that she sent in that email, is if you know you want edible, you got to do your research to make sure that particular cultivar will have the edible fruit. So um, I think that's... Right. Oh, Yi also says, she, there's another question here. Is it possible to grow pawpaw in a container, such as a 15 or 30 gallon or larger container? Well, I've I've grown a lot of fruits in containers because when I was in graduate school, I mentioned I was in graduate school. I thought I was going to get my degree sooner than I did. It took longer than I thought, but I had planted a lot of fruit trees, and I knew I'd have to move. I thought I'd have to move soon, so I planted uh, just about all of them in containers. And just as a as little side story, but then it turned out when I got when I uh, after I got my degree and I. Uh, went to work for the Soil Conservation Service. That was a thousand miles away. So in August, I had a uh, U-Haul, the biggest U-Haul you can find, filled up almost completely with potted fruit trees, some apple trees with apples on them. And uh, so I guess the the whole story is that yes, I have grown a lot of fruit trees in pots, and you can. I think you could plant anything in a pot. You just have to. Uh, the, the few caveats for planting in pots is. You have to uh, root prune them and repot them to refresh the soil every year or more. And you have to make sure you can water them in winter, I mean in summer. And then also in winter, you have to have a place, if it's a temperate zone fruit, you have to have a place where it can be kept cold, but not too cold. That sounds like really good advice. And I know that often people just don't have the space they maybe don't have a garden or, or they don't, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But that's why I'm a big fan of community orchards. Like if, if people have a local park and they can work with the city and get permission, like it's so fun to go out and meet your friends and colleagues and go take care of your trees out in nature. So that's another option if anybody is interested in that. Yeah, so. and the, the important thing I think with that is choosing the right fruits so that you do get fruit and that you don't, you obviously don't want fruits that take, uh, detailed and knowledgeable spraying, or uh, it's just not going to happen. And uh, or preferably, you know, unless you know everybody's very enthusiastic, not too much pruning. You know, you, uh, there's so many fruits that you can grow that you can choose anywhere on the spectrum of how much care you're willing to learn about and then to give them. You know, from from intensive to almost nothing as far as, you know, uh, pest control, as far as pruning. So, so, you know, and when you grow fruit, no matter what it is, you get much better quality than what, what you could buy. Oh, for sure. So what would your, your top picks be for a community garden where there's very little care? What would you suggest? Uh, depends on where, where it's going to be. Uh, is this in, in uh, Toronto? Yeah, sure. Let's say in Toronto. I would say... Uh, Asian and European Asian pears are very easy, not too much pruning, but they do need fruit thinning. I would say European pears, they take a little more pruning. I would say uh, hardy kiwi vines, um, a lot of shrubs, blueberry bushes definitely. I mean, blueberries are my favorite fruit. Blueberries, black currants, uh, red currants. There's so many fruits. You know, most people, uh, you know, think of when they think of planting fruits, they think apples and 
if not apples, or in addition to things, apples, peaches, cherries, plums, you know, that. And I usually tell people if they live in the East, where there's a lot of pest problems, I say, well, you know, if you want to pick the hardest fruits to grow, apples, peaches, cherries, plums, and they, and they always say, well, so what can I grow? Yeah. But, you know, you have, you, have, you have all these other fruits. You have, you have per, American persimmons, you have, uh, you have uh, pawpaws, you have uh, the pears that I mentioned, Cornelian cherries, we didn't even mention, very easy to grow. Uh, and there's, there's so many fruits, really de- delectable, and fruits you can't buy, so if you like them, you wouldn't be able to uh, get them anyway. Perfect. Yeah. Now we have an email here. Let's see who's next. We've got an email from Tracy. This is Tracy from Salinas, California, listening for the first time. Love the show. Thank you, Tracy. And let's see, there was one more. Okay. Oh, dear. (laughs) Brita writes, I don't know where Brita's from. Ha, my trees are a mess. Um, Is Dr. Reich for hire? Ha. I love this show. Such fantastic advice. Okay. Well, Lee, I think you're popular. I think everybody wants to adopt well, you or something. Poss- possibly if she was down the street from me, I'd be fine. <laughs> well, she didn't say where she's from, so she may be knocking on your door very soon. You may regret that you said that. Right. And but, getting back to the California one, uh, much, much easier to grow just about all fruits in most places in California. Exactly. There's a lot of pests east of the Rocky Mountains that don't that they just aren't present or present in large numbers out west. Yeah, makes you want to live in California. Um, not so much. <laughs> oh, and Brita says, oh, let's see. She's not around the corner from you. She's from um, Macon, Georgia, M-A-C-O-N. Darn, she oh, says. I was just down there. Oh, she wow. Brita, you missed... a talk down there. You missed your chance, Brita. Oh, well. Um, there's... Uh, Oh, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. We are going to have another commercial break in a minute. But after the break, I want to talk about another fruit that I saw that you talk about. And the title of that chapter in your book is Che, Chewy Dollops of Maroon Sweetness. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited to hear about that. So can you hold the line for another couple of minutes? Of course. Wonderful. Okay, thank you so much. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. I'm Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com, and this is Reality Radio 101. We'll be back in just a moment. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. 
Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. Thanks so much for tuning in. In today's show, we've been talking about on uncommon fruits that you can grow in your garden, and my guest today is writer and horticulturalist Lee Reich. There's a bit more time to write us during the live show today with your question or comment. Send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com and we'll enter you into our contest. And you may be the one to win a copy of Lee's book, Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden. So now, before the commercial break, I mentioned a, a chapter in Lee's book where the title is Che, Chewy Dollops of Maroon Sweetness. So, Lee, you got to tell me, what is this stuff, Che, that sounds so delicious and yummy? Yeah, this is also quite an uncommon fruit. It, um, it's, it's related to fig, mulberry, and Osage orange. And the fruit could be sort of likened to, if you took a fig, the characteristics of a fig fruit and a mulberry fruit and melded them together. But in all honesty, I, I didn't think, uh, well, I, I'm not really a good judge. The ones I tasted have not been as good as fig or mulberry. But that's because I'm at the northern limit of uh, Che survival. And they need not only to survive, but they have to ripen their fruits. I think the fruits that I tasted were not uh, sufficiently ripe. So can you, is there, can you get them anywhere else? Like, have you ever traveled somewhere where you've tasted one where that just tasted just right? Uh, not not in season. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. But, uh, but I've seen pictures of them also. Uh, if you go f just a little further south where they're hardy and they have a longer season, the fruit also is a lot larger than the ones that, that I would get. What does the plant look like? If it's if it tastes, if it's somewhat fig-like, does it look like a fig tree? Not really. It has 
shiny. I think it looks more like, if you're familiar with Osage Orange, it looks more like Osage Orange, and it does have uh, thorns, not like Osage Orange. Osage Orange has the, the worst thorns of any plant as far as I'm concerned, but uh, it has thorns. So Osage Orange uh, also for, does. For our listeners in California or Florida, is it worth it for them to try? I would definitely try it. But, but then again, you'd try anything because you love to try different stuff. True. <laughs> but also, you don't have to be that far south. I think if you're as far south you know, and in line with the climate of, say, Virginia, or even maybe southern New Jersey, I would, I would try it. Right. Possibly try it even if I lived in northern New Jersey. Huh? I'm really at this, this line of cold where there's a number of things I can't grow that you can grow successfully uh, just a little south of here. Yeah, those chewy dollops of maroon sweetness. Oh, gosh, I've got to try. I've got to try it at some point. The other thing is there is something in your book you talk about, and you'll know what this is. You say, this is a fruit you may want to grow, and it tastes like a mix of old fish, applesauce, and red wine. So what fruit am I talking about? That wasn't a medlar, was it? Yes, it was. (laughs) Wait, you didn't say old fish, did you? You did. I gotta look at this. Oh, have I a look. That. Okay, because maybe it was something else. Well, what would you say medlars taste like? I would say very rich applesauce with a hint of wine. Interesting. How well, about the old fish? Right? You don't know about the old fish part. Well, let's have a we'll have a look later. But so, tell us about medlars and their history. Medlars one of my favorite ones. It's a fruit that reached its peak of popularity in the Middle Ages, and it's related to apple and pear, and it looks sort of like a small russeted apple with the calyx end, which is the end opposite the uh, stem, flared open. Which, uh, so the fruit has not been praised for its appearance, although I happen to like the way it looks. And its appearance has often been likened to other things. And if you read old English literature, uh, for instance, Chaucer uh, referred to the fruit as the open arse fruit. <laughs> and uh, and uh Shakespeare even mentioned he was a little more uh, delicate. He called it the open, etc. <laughs> and uh, uh, my favorite, what was the one? Uh, oh, yeah, in French. Uh, I guess there's probably a lot of French listeners, so they'll know what it means. Usually people don't know. Uh, it's called Col de Chien. Which is? So, uh, end of the dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so th- it has been disparaged for its uh, appearance, although I happen to think it, it uh, has a very nice appearance. Uh, it just has a real, it's like a real fruit appearance. It's, it's uh, you know, it's rusted, it's got little, uh, you know, blushes of red on it, and, uh, and, and, and as far as that also, the tree itself has been praised for its appearance. If you don't, if you, if you have a small yard and only room for one specimen tree, and a small specimen tree, this is the one to plant, because it doesn't, um, it doesn't need a pollinator, hmm. and the tree gets no bigger than, say, 8 or 10 feet high and wide, and that's full size. And it's got a very nice form, too, sort of like a gnarled, uh, wizened form to the way the branches grow. And then on top of that... Uh nope, looks like we might have lost Lee. Did we lose him? Let's see if we can get him back. I'm going to call him back. Okay, we're going to call him right back. And in the meantime, oh, we also have an email from Anthony, and we're going to ask your question, Anthony, in a minute when we get Lee back. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you guys to hear what unusual fruits you are growing 
in your gardens? That would be really nice to know. And we can also get some feedback from Lee. So let's see, we're coming up. Now, let's see, I'm going to also look at Lee's book to see what other fruits he talks about in his book so that you know if you are the one who wins the book, you will get this information. Let's see what he's talking about here. So, the different fruits he's going to be talking about in his book include Juneberry, which are service berries, beech plum, alpine and musk strawberries, pawpaws, Raisin tree is one we haven't had a chance to talk about. Lingonberry. Now, this is interesting. Astinidia is another one which I haven't heard of. Then, of course, we've got mulberries and persimmons. And we've got autumn olives. There's so much more than what we're going to be able to talk about in the show today. Oh, it looks like we've got Lee back. Lee, I was just telling our listeners about some of the other fruits you write about in your book. So we lost uh, you. Actually, can I say two more things about medlar? Yes, please do. So, so I have this quote from uh, about 100 years ago that is my favorite description, even though I happen to like the way it looks, the fruit. Uh, so somebody wrote, it's a crabby-looking, brownish-green, truncated little spheroid of unsympathetic appearance. And yet you want it as a feature tree. Right. And, and But on the positive side, Charlemagne, whenever he conquered a, a, a town, he always, he loved uh, medlars, and he always uh, made it a rule that a medlar tree had to be planted. Aha, uh-huh, that's interesting. So that's, on the, that's on the plus side. Before we move on uh, to Anthony's question, um, I just wanted to ask, with medlars, are there different cultivars? Because you say it's, it's a smallish tree, and you described it so interestingly. But are oh, there yeah, different there's, cultivars? Yeah, there's a number of cultivars, and they differ in size, uh, and I'm not sure how much they differ in flavor, but it has a. Oh, the other thing about the fruit that that makes uh, it. I mean, you'll never see a, a medlar in the supermarket because when you pick it, it's rock hard and white inside, and it has to undergo a process called bledding before you can eat it. Which means you pick it in in the fall, and then you set it on a counter in a cool room, and undergoes this bledding process. And then when it's ready to eat, the inside is turned to basically brown mush. <laughs> which, you know, some people in past writings have said, well, it's sort of like it's, it's uh, rotten, but that's not really rotten. It's sort of like uh, a banana ripening. You know, it gets softer. It doesn't get to be brown mush. But when it's brown mush, it tastes really good. Oh, yummy. So we have two more questions, and one is from Anthony. So Anthony is from Baltimore, and he says, what are some fruits for Zone 7B? So I guess what he's thinking is maybe easy to grow or uncommon fruits that might work for Baltimore. Any suggestions for Anthony? You can grow grow a lot of fruits. You can grow pawpaw. You can grow persimmons, uh, both Asian and American persimmons. You can grow uh, hardy kiwi fruits. You can grow uh, maypop. Okay. You you can grow, Jesus, no end. I mean, I would plant pears, as I said, both Asian pears and European pears. Uh, blueberries. Uh, I'm trying to think. We can, you can basically you can grow just about anything except for uh, tropical fruits. Okay, really so tropical fruits, like yeah, he's, and, he's got a good selection. So those are good good suggestions. Yeah. Um, figs. You can grow figs too. That's a big thing. Can you grow figs outdoors in seven? Yep. Be, yeah, here in Toronto, we have to do the indoor outdoor thing with our figs. Me too. Me too. So you too. Yeah. 
except I have my greenhouse also. Oh, that's nice to have room for a greenhouse. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) So we have an email as well from Cody and Cody is from Nashville, Tennessee. Cody says, thank you for a very informative radio show. I am a big fan of Dr. Reich's and really appreciate all he has done in this field. He has saved me several times. That's really nice to get that kind of feedback. (laughs) So it's been many years since you've been writing all these amazing books. Do you really know what an impact? Can you tell as you live your daily life what an impact you've made on all sorts of people everywhere? Well, I do get uh, emails or I get, uh, you know, uh, comments on my blog posts. Uh, that sort of every once in a while say, oh, this is definitely worth doing. You know, I'll keep writing and talking about these things. Uh, But it's nice to get the feedback. I really appreciate it. And also, you mentioned that you are doing on your website, you're doing a regular weekly blog. So what are you blogging about? Basically, whatever's happening on the forum on that week, you know, it could be uh, uh, trying to get my greenhouse heater fixed. It could be sowing seeds when I sow the seeds. It'd be pruning. It'd be like, like uh, uh, next week I was going to write about. I really like to propagate plants. I'm sort of addicted to it, and I really like uh, hardy cyclamens. So I start propagating to from seed, and I have little seed flats filled with uh, little tubers that are sprouting of, of these seedlings that I started. Uh, so it's not only fruits and vegetables, but uh, a lot of it's on about fruits and vegetables, but also just other fruit, other plants too. I have some other favorite non-edible plants also. So if we want to see Lee behind the scenes, then we are going to check out your blog and tell us again what the uh, the website is. It's a uh, uh, Lee Reich, L E E R E I C H dot com, and the blog would be LeeReich dot com slash blog. And also, I have uh, a lot of photographs, uh, pictures of my farm and. Matter of fact, last week, I think it was last week, or very recently, I had one. Uh, my nephew had a drone, so I took an aerial view. It looks quite cool. Oh, wow. That'd be really neat. Yeah. Yeah, that would be neat. Okay, well, it's time for us to pick the winner of your book, which I have right in front of me. Oh, oh, quick question. She gets right in. Tracy has one more question here. Tracy, again in California. Any advice for growing on hillsides? I'm outside Salina, so 9 or 10, open to anything. So Tracy gets the last question before we do our wow. prize. California, on uh, Salinas, California, on a, a hillside, could probably grow anything. If I could plant, geez, um, this is, I guess I would just plant, figure out what you really like and plant that and then plant what you'd like second and do that because I would say, there's a few things you couldn't plant. I'm not sure what, what zone that is. If you can she says zone. She says zone 9 or 10, but I wonder if her concern is because it, because it's on a hillside, the watering might be an issue. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, make sure, learn something about drip irrigation. Aha. Uh-huh. And be all set. And is there any of these tr- these uh, plants that we've talked about, are any of them sort of zeriscape or don't need lots of water or okay uh, with lots of heat and... Yeah, I would, well, first of all, Nanking Cherry is definitely one of those. I would say Beach Plum, which is also in the book, can can get by with low water. Uh, mulberries, oh, I know one plant that, if I, if I was her, there's a species of mulberry that I can't grow. I do grow it in a pot, but it's not hardy outside. It's a black mulberry, Morris nigra. And the black doesn't refer to the color of the fruit. It's, just, it's a different species. Uh, but that's one of the best-tasting fruits 
ever, anywhere. Mm, fantastic. So I would definitely plant that. Okay. Well, we're coming up to the end of the show. Would you like to know who won your book, Leah? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's Wallace from Red Dealer, Alberta. Wallace gets the copy of your book. He was the very first person to write us. Good. And a good fruit for there is uh, uh, Juneberries. They're grown, I've been told, commercially to some degree there. Oh, yeah. That, that would be great because they're so hardy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lee, for coming on the show today. It has been so much fun, and I could talk to you forever about this stuff. So hopefully you'll come back again. Yeah, I would love to do it again. Okay, thanks, and goodbye for now. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Lee Reich, author of Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden and a host of other fantastic gardening books. And that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to listen again or if you want to download other episodes, you can find them all at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And if you're ready to up your fruit tree care game, do check out my online fruit tree care training course. My students include home growers and arborists and master gardeners and lots of other people. The course is great for both beginner and intermediate level growers, and you can learn about it at orchardpeople.com slash workshops. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in today, and I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. This show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.